Today's show brought to you by our friends at the New York Thoroughbred Breeders. The New York Bread Program is unsurpassed in terms of purses of any regional state bread program. Get involved by purchasing a registered New York Bread at the upcoming Keeneland September sale, September 12th through 24th. New York Thoroughbred Breeders, Inc. works to protect the incentives and awards of the New York Bread Program, including $181 million in total purses per year. Support the program by joining NYTB at nytbreeders.org membership. As a member, you get other benefits as well, including the New York Breeder Magazine, a monthly publication you get a subscription to, free entrance to any Naira facility, and discounts through the NTRA Advantage program. Now's the time to join that URL once again, nytbreeders.org slash membership. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Monday, August 22nd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, in the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Muggsy, the handicapping Labrador alongside. She's making all kinds of noise, wants to be back on the airwaves, um, apparently. Hopefully you can hear her rattling her chain and licking her bowl, just like old times here on the In The Money Players podcast. This, I think I'm going to call it our Travers preview show. I did not prep today's first guest for this, but we'll do a couple minutes of Travers chatter and then we're going to look back at the queen's plate look back at a big weekend of racing at uh, del mar and saratoga and it should be a lot of fun the man who will be joining me to do so is a guy whose opinion you have probably read whether or not you're an in the money plus subscriber or just going over to in the money whose numbers are soaring this summer in large part to his contributions He's also on here frequently talking about Monmouth and fixed odds and uh, our sponsors, the Betmakers and the movement they've got going in New Jersey. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on, man? I'm doing great. Busy summer, as you can uh, as you can tell, as you know a little bit about, but things are going well. Looking forward to my trip up to Saratoga on Wednesday. I was surprised to see it. For some reason, I can't seem to find international prices yet. Usually a big race like the Travers you would see some some anti-post numbers this far out. I'm not sure why that's uh, that's not the case um, for the Travers, but we do know some of the big names who are going to be on here. We're going to be talking about a special project involving Epicenter a little bit later in the show, but just curious from this far out what you're seeing as the main storylines. I mean, obviously, the, the one that's going to garner the most attention is going to be Rich Strike because he won the Kentucky Derby. Um, and I think that's probably more mainstream media than than racing involved, um, because I think people that are a little bit more intimately involved in the game understand that he's not really a particularly good horse. Um, and I don't mean to disparage him, but, you know, I mean, we all sort of know what he is. So Epicenter is the story, no doubt about it, based on that tremendous win in in the Jim Dandy and the fact that he's kind of been a hard luck horse and more importantly, that it seems as if his trainer, Steve Asmussen, if he has a horse going in a graded stake race, they almost never lose. So um, <laughs> or a maiden two-year-old uh, with some... Or a maiden two-year-old first-time stop losing, too. <laughs> they seem to be equally as likely. So, yeah, it's uh, it, those, I think, are the main ones and what everybody will kind of focus on. 
which uh, will also include having the other one of the other Triple Crown race winners with early voting in there as well. He's looking for some redemption. His stablemate Zandon looking for some measure of redemption as well. You know, it seems as if even though it's it's sort of a a topsy turvy crop in terms of how things have gotten here, it looks as if order has been restored in terms of who's at the top with Epicenter coming off that big win. So I think what we're all seeking is that validation from him that that he is the man and, um, and, and this will be his opportunity to do so. It's sort of amazing with all of his exploits that he is yet to win a grade one. So yeah, this is a, a really impossible. meaningful race. Yeah, it's yeah. a really meaningful race for him. That's so interesting. I just couldn't, we talked about it at the time. I, I just was so impressed by the way he won in the Jim Dandy, the, the, the improvement on the clock, despite not having a setup. If there's, if there's one thing I'm concerned about with Epicenter, I guess there's two things I'd be concerned about. One is the just hasn't gotten away from the gate with the alacrity that, that, that he once did. You and I have talked often about how sometimes that can uh, portend not such great things in terms of a, of a horse's future. But then the other question is, how short of a price is he going to be? I, I'm really hoping Rich Strike in there helps make the market for, uh, as well as those Chad Brown runners and, and of course, Cyberknife, um, makes makes it so that we might actually be able to get nine to five, two to one on Epicenter in this race. What is your guess about pricing? I know it's impossible before they've even drawn, but if I, if I give you that impossible task, how do you answer it? Charge it coming out hurts. <laughs> Right. I mean, that was a him being in there would have probably probably made it so that nine to five, even two to one was OK, because Chargers, of course, is coming in off a one oh nine buyer and a 23 length win. So, um, yeah, that hurts. I figure he's probably going to be on the morning line about six or seven to five. And he's a pretty immensely popular horse. And I think when everybody sits down and looks at the PPs, they're going to realize that despite having not won a grade one, he's beaten virtually everybody in this race at least once. So, um, and, and if not, then the ones that have beaten him have done so by a scant margin with great circumstances. So I think he'll end up going off a pretty solid favorite. New York racing in general and, and you know, big races tend to lend themselves to favorites getting bet down more than they would otherwise. But, um, it, you know, it'll be interesting. It's It's a good, solid field. Um, it's it's basically everybody that you would want at this point in time, maybe save charge it, who's had a little bit of a setback and, uh, and we'll see at the end of it, who's on the top of the heap. What do you think about Cyberknife's chances to build on what we saw in the Haskell? I mean, is this going to be one where we look back and say last time was the time or is this horse now a major player in this division? You know, it, it's interesting because you're talking about a horse that always trained well. And oftentimes when these horses are, are doing that regularly, but they're not winning. They are sort of holding back some talent, so to speak. And I wonder if maybe that's the case with Cyberknife. If he was just not quite there, and maybe having not having to deal with the rigors of the Triple Crown and being on the shelf for some time between the Derby and the Met win, maybe helped him come into his own. That being said, he had a great trip in the uh, in the Haskell. Great ride. This is the kind of horse that will make his own trip with the the tactical speed that he possesses. So I think he's very dangerous. I, th- I think he looms one of the you know, one of the the real win candidates. And I think that he's run well enough on multiple occasions to be considered a win candidate. Of course, he did not, when he met Epicenter in the Derby, you know, he didn't run nearly as well. So you, you figure he'd have to elevate his game. But I think the very fact that he's here um, running in it is a good sign. I think Brad Cox would have certainly been very happy to lay him up until the Pennsylvania Derby, Brad being a more conservative type of horseman generally. So 
I think they know the gravity of this situation, which is that if he wins this race, he's going to have three grade ones to epicenter zero. And <laughs> that's going to really help his candidacy for the eclipse. And there's obviously a lot that goes into that as well. So I'm, I'm skeptical about his ability to win, um, but he is definitely a horse that should be on the short list of win candidates. A general topic we'll talk about before we dive into the specifics, and we'll start by going up to Woodbine. But it is interesting. I wonder, I don't want to give our friends at BetMakers too much credit, but I do wonder if that million-dollar bonus available to a Haskell Travers Breeders' Cup winner is one of the reasons why they're saying, well, yeah, of course we're going to run there. We have We have that extra bonus if we do so. That got me thinking just in general. When you look at the success that we've seen, with this meet out at Del Mar in terms of uh, in terms of field sizes that's kept up pretty well throughout the meet. I had a good conversation with Jay Privman last week about how he thinks it's a case of a very careful reckoning of the condition book and the horses on the ground and not giving horsemen too many options of, you know, the same race, but half a furlong distance or a little bit difference in, in, in timing. I, I saw you said an interesting tweet about ways in which the Saratoga stake schedule in ways that the racing office might have some discretion, might be able to rejigger things so we can get some bigger fields, especially at the stakes level. I was curious if you cared to expound upon that idea at all. Yeah. I mean, I've kind of been on this bandwagon for a while and I know that the concept that was was originally created was a, a stake a day, um, quote unquote. And so I, I, I understand where that came from. It was the idea to really highlight the marquee elements of the Saratoga racing product. But I think as far as the stake races go, it has actually had more of a negative effect. And one of the things that we're seeing on a consistent basis is that horses are running in some of these overnight or listed stakes races, and then they are not going in the tougher or more prestigious race for the same division. And, and I think that in that case, they're having a really detrimental effect. I also think the racing office is doing a, a, I mean, I don't, I don't really, I like Keith Dolchel a lot. I think he does a really good job. I think there's a little lack of oversight here, but great example is that yesterday's seventh race, eighth race, I think it was seventh race, seventh was a mile and a half on the turf for a two other than allowance condition. Have you by chance looked at the John's call on Wednesday yet? Yeah, I know where you're that, going with this. That's it, it's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, it's disgraceful. It's it's there was absolutely positively no reason to card that race at 12 furlongs that ate up basically every starter in the John's call. The John's call has a horse in it that was just claimed for 35 out of a 35-3 life. It has a horse that just won a 16 claimer. It, it is a race that, and I understand that part of it is Lasix. Well, the thing that the horsemen need to embrace is that the Lasix ban is here to stay. We're not going anywhere with it. So I think that a lot of what's happening is that we're seeing the after effects and we're seeing these small fields and we're disappointed in them. And, and we're not, not fully embracing the fact that certain racing offices are cannibalizing their own product. And, and I think that's a big part of it. The summer, we're going to, we're going to get a field of four or five in the personal ensign on Saturday probably hard pressed to get that. And that's mainly because Kenny McPeak is willing to run crazy, beautiful. Chad will run search results. I'm almost certain. So that would give us five. You, there's absolutely no way you can tell me that there wasn't a window for two or three of those horses in the summer colony to run in the personal engine. Right. No way. Just, 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 you know, it's just not there. So unless you're talking about a specific restriction 
that is really applicable, like the curlin, where you can't, you know, you can't run on the curlin unless you've unless you have never won a graded sweepstake. Okay, I get it. But I just think a lot of this needs to be changed around. I also thought it was pretty ironic that when I think you were at the panel with me as well in Tucson last December, and I was really intrigued by the racing secretary's panel and Mike Lakow was up there and Rick Hammerly and Tom Robbins and Ben Huffman. And one of the things they talked about endlessly was how you need to give horsemen fewer options. And, and, you know, if you give them the more options you give them, the more they're going to be, they're going to be very conservative. They're going to be very choosy. They're basically going to tell you what races are going to go and and the irony of it was that Mike Lakow runs at a racetrack that was installing a third surface that was now giving trainers two to three more distance options on that third surface and was taking claiming levels and adjusting them on the turf as well. So it was like, I understood what he was saying and I agree with him in principle, but, you know, because of the powers that be there are trying to card races or trying to card the most competitive races as possible, it's actually giving the, the trainers more options. So I think that when we finally take that step and finally put it in place permanently, it's going to make a huge difference because we've we've seen the positive effects of a racing office going on an all-out blitz for months and months to, to put forth the best product possible. And the result is Delmar. This Delmar meet is one that they really should be very, very proud of because the racing office has done a phenomenal job. And I think the proof is in the handle. I think you've, you've nailed it. And for those that want to examine this deeper, the benefits of these bigger fields and stakes races, I've heard the argument of, well, who else would you really want to see that, that could win, et cetera. But I, I'm more of the mind that, especially when it comes to paramutual betting, just having eight, nine or 10 as a player, it just necessarily creates more meat on the bone. And, from a handicapping point of view, it's just it's a more interesting puzzle when you have to look and t- figure out what those three extra horses, even if you don't think they're top contenders, might do in terms of making a race into an interesting handicapping puzzle. Do you, do you agree with that idea? It's not necessarily that every horse we want to see in a graded stakes race has to be a prime contender. Field size, and I think as you point out, I think Handel shows us this, field size is kind of its own reward. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. I think that's a, that's a good example of it. Um, and and I think you you want to put a few more horses in the gate because it might make the situation more interesting for the principal players. You know, if we if the person lends and ends up drawing some high level claiming type, low level allowance type that happens to have pretty significant early speed, that's going to spice the race up a little bit because Latruska is now not going to be loose on the lead, or search result is now not going to have to do the dirty work that she did back in in uh, in June in the Ogden Phipps. And so, you know, th- that those are interesting elements to the race. I There's a difference between taking three or four 80 to one shots and plugging them into the starting gate to make a field of 11 and, you know, finding two or three quasi-competitive horses and taking a field from five to seven. There's also an enormous handle impact in that. So, the, the, you know, the racing racing offices and, and racing entities really benefit from doing that. So, I mean, you know, we've seen this this older female division is the, the fields have just been tiny. They've been tiny all year. You know, we had a decent sized field in, in the in uh, the race at Mammoth on Haskell Day. That was also because they offered Lasix and it was a lesser race. But, you know, you you ended up with four in the Chuvie and five in the Phipps. And I don't think we've had a race with more than that in New York of going back to aqueduct. So yeah, you, you'd want one or two in there just to maybe find a way to spice it up a tad. 
it is going to be an interesting personal incident, even with the short field, just with the, the marquee names, Clarier, Malafat, Latruska, and then you mentioned search results and, and crazy beautiful. But I mean, I think your points are, are well taken. Let We don't have all the time in the world today, so we're going to dive in. I love these tangents and could go on, do a whole show about this, and, and maybe later we will. But let's get to the specifics of some racing. The Queen's Plate, which um, Jessica and I were talking about yesterday off air as we were doing our Mid-Atlantic Pick 4 show. And this show is going to drop early, so you probably still have a chance to play that Monday Mid-Atlantic Pick 4. I think it starts in the 3 o'clock hour. Jess and I have a whole show up about it. It's a kind of a fun and interesting sequence today. But uh, we were talking about the Queen's Plate, and she described it as essentially the world's richest uh, state-bred race, which is about right. But from time to time, you'll see a horse run in here that can have relevance beyond uh, the Canadian bred ranks. I wonder if that's not the case with Moira Nick. This is a filly I've long admired who looked to take another step forward. An example of with these three-year-olds, you know, when they take that first step up, I think there's a lot of people who are apt to say, okay, well, let's, let's see them do it again. Well, she did it again and she got better again. And it shows that when you cut, when it comes to improving horses, whether it's older horses just in the midst of a form cycle or you're talking especially about younger developing horses, once they start improving, it's hard to know where the improvement's going to stop. If Moira improves anymore, I mean, she she could be a contender at a race like the Breeders' Cup, I think. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to happen, but it was a 97 buyer. It was visually devastating. I mean, you don't too often see a million-dollar race where the jockey is celebrating at the 16th pole. Am I overrating Moira? You can tell how much I like her. No, I don't think you're overrating her at all. I think you're giving her the proper credit. You know, this is a filly who really, uh, I think, indicated early on that she was talented. They debuted her in a stake race, and and she won very handily. She came back in a grade three and ran very well. So, I mean, they've had high aspirations, I would say, from the start. The difference, of course, is that she has really made it clear that distance is her friend. And and I think these last two performances at a mile and an eighth now and a mile and a quarter have really shown that she has sort of bottomless distance capability. Her dam was actually a nice horse that that uh, Christophe Clement had for a couple of races at the end of her career. And she had probably been at her best already, but she was a turf router that was successful named Divine Aida. Uh, her one sibling, Jungle Cry, was effective up to a mile and a 16th or so stakes wise. So there was really no reason to believe that she couldn't be somewhat successful um, going long as well. And so, yeah, I mean, she just, I'm in watching the race, she wheeled out four wide and it looked like she was traveling very well. One of the things about synthetic racing that I still appreciate to an extent, and I don't love synthetic racing, but I do think from a visual perspective, you can really see when horses quicken, right? And so she got outside and made this move and basically went from like seventh to first in an eight, in, in a 16th of a mile. Yeah. And, and so she's just, you know, really reaching and striding out ahead of these horses. And by the time she got clear, it was just over. And it was a, I think, a, a devastating turn of foot, as you alluded to, is, is a great way to put it. So, you know, we'll see where she, uh, I mean, we'll see if I guess if she runs in the Prince of Wales at, at Fort Erie. Obviously, that's on the dirt. So, um, you know, no certainty about whether she'll be quite as good on the dirt. But they've got to try it because they owe it to her and 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 Canada to see if she's triple crown worthy. Yeah, I think that is kind of a cool achievement that you would think the connections would have paramount amongst their concerns, unless they have some reason to think she's not going to like dirt, in, in which case I suppose you could wait for the breeder stakes back at a mile and a half on turf. 
or just start thinking, start thinking and dreaming about other targets. But it feels like feels like Fort Erie's probably against the competition she'll face there. That's probably a really good place to answer the dirt question, wouldn't you think? I would say so. I would imagine that, you know, it didn't look like anybody in this field was probably crying out to get to dirt. Um, you know, I think the only horse in the race that had multiple races on dirt were was uh, one that had been beaten by 20, 30 lengths both times. Right. So actually, Pletcher's horse on the outside had won a dirt race. So I could see him coming back. But I mean, he was drubbed in here. So, you know, all things being equal, it looks like Moira is a better horse. But we know that, you know, the surface uh, surface issues can pop up. Let's do a couple of quick words on the other stakes racing we saw up there, uh, starting with the King Edward stakes, where Philo Di Ariana got the job done with a pretty strong 98 buyer speed figure. This was a race where I was uh, trying to get March to the Arch somewhere involved, and uh, just pace didn't really evolve in, in such a way to make that that dream happen. Philo Di Ariana justified the short odds of six to five, and and what ended up being a pretty good day for Kimura. Uh, any any thoughts on this one? How do you think Fila Di Ariana will be a competitor when they uh, when the imports come in in a month's time and uh, in, in, on the Canadian shores? I'll tell you what, this horse has gotten really good. And so if they if, if you're sending a late running type up for the Woodbine Mile, you might want to pack a rabbit because mm-hmm. uh, this horse has gotten very fast and uh, and, and very very competent. Um, I, I wondered distance wise where he'd top out. It looks like a mile's no problem, but, um, and especially when he's able to get a relatively easy lead. So this, obviously these waters are a lot, uh, they'll get a lot deeper town cruise last year's Woodbine mile winner. Looks like he's probably his best form is gone. Um, if he's not even able to make the lead anymore, then he's never going to be effective. So we'll see how, who ends up going up for the Woodbine mile, but Fila de Ariana, as far as the locals go, clearly the favorite. And then to give a a chat about the Canadian stakes presented by our friends at the Japan Racing Association, Fevrover, this uh, fancy purchase who had uh, not quite gotten the job done when bet hard on the the North American debut. Sort of, we talked about this on TV, sort of shockingly completely forgotten about in in the betting and ran to the purchase price. A very good effort. I thought Crystal Cliffs looked like was going to be an easy winner at as they turned in and Fevre over. It was just one of these situations would not be denied. I was impressed by this race. It was just a really good horse race. Yeah. See, the reason why Rafael Hernandez had to, to uh, celebrate on Moira is because 30 minutes before he celebrated on crystal cliffs and he actually lost the photo. <laughs> right. I forgot that he pumped his fist. I forgot I mean, about famous, that. Famous fist pump losses. To me, the one that sticks out in, in most recent memory would be Robbie Alvarado's Mambo in Seattle fist pump when he lost the the Travers to Colonel John. Yeah. Um, after he had famously fist pumped on Curlin over Street Sense and and was was right about that one. There was one there was one earlier this year, not that I want to take away from talking about this race. There was one earlier this year where Eric Cancel was coming up the rail at Belmont and he it was like an allowance race and he fist pumped after the wire. I was like, man, you lost by a neck. Like it was not, I mean, maybe it was because they were so far apart because the winner was basically like three or four paths outside. It was really funny. So it would never not be funny, but yeah, Fevrover, good effort. Um, I think the, the Crystal Cliffs is a horse that she's kind of funny. She ran these two really good races during the pandemic and then disappeared and she's come back just okay. You know, she really does never, never taken a clear step forward. And, and I think that Graham Motion kind of has her more or less on the B team in sending her to Canada. 
So um, I would imagine they'll probably take a look. I think DEP Taylor at 10 furlongs around uh, uh, Woodbine Mile or Canadian International Time is probably a little bit much for her. So I would imagine he'll probably keep her in some of these grade two, grade three mile and 16th races. We'll be talking a whole bunch about the other big day at Woodbine happening in a month. I'm going to try to get up there for that. I don't know if you have any uh, any ability to do that. I know you're traveling this week to, to Saratoga, but I love Woodbine Mile weekend up there. Uh, typically amazing weather, great racing, and it'll just feel so good making uh, the triumphant return to Toronto. I, I, I can't wait. And I, I, gotta, I keep saying this and I keep not doing it. Got to get online and see about those Toronto Film Festival tickets. I'm, I'm so happy they're going to be back in, in action in a somewhat uh, normal manner as well. Let's talk about um, the Bolton Landing at Saratoga quickly while we're talking Sunday races, and then we'll get back to the, the, the marquee stuff for the, for the remainder of the show from Saturday at Saratoga and Del Mar. But uh, Love Reigns, I haven't seen a figure yet, but Love Reigns looked really, really good. I wasn't sure um, based on the Ascot run. I mean, it was a good run at Ascot, but I wasn't sure where that left her. And I actually tried to take her on in this spot. I, I thought maybe she could be left vulnerable to a horse like uh, Dance Macabre or, or Redefined, who both ran well, but couldn't lay a glove on Love Reigns. I wonder if she has serious aspirations for a race like the Breeders' Cup Sprint based on this. Breeders' Cup Sprint turf, I should say. Yeah, I mean, the problem is her stablemate Golden Pal would probably have something to say about her in that. Um, no, Wesley Ward just seemed, I mean, he has this endless supply of fast turf sprinters. And, you know, the 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 way that they all seem to just be able to get themselves in position. And I guess the interesting thing about Love Reigns is that she effectively raided which is not always the case with Wesley's horses. They're, they seem to be doing it a little bit more now that he's more or less gone to Irad as, as his go-to guy, which is n- no surprise. I mean, that seems to be Irad's comfort zone. The one thing I'll tell you that, that has really stuck out to me, Pete, and, and I often, I've tweeted about this and, and I, I said, you know, Wesley Ward has just ruined turf sprints because you get a big field and it looks competitive on paper and one of his horses goes off less than even money and wins for fun. Like all the time, you know, Campanelli, Golden Pal. Um, it happened on Derby Day with a horse that, or, or Oaks Day with a horse that's not even really that good. And um, and so, it's, yeah, it's taken a lot of fun out of it. But uh, when the money shows up for Wesley, I feel like, and this is this is really more anecdotal than anything, I did just give you some examples. When the money shows up for his horses, they run. I mean, there is just no, no debate. And she did. Um, which she hinted at having pretty serious ability in her debut at Keeneland, and obviously is a horse with a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of ability. Yeah, it was it was it was impressive, I, and I was not I was not expecting a, a win that big against. I mean, you know, granted, a lot of horses that did, didn't weren't really long on experience, but definitely looked long long on talent. We'll see we'll see what happens with Love Reigns as as we go forward. Let's go back to talk about Saturday at Saratoga, and I'll start with a question that I don't know if you're going to be fully prepared to answer because I don't know how closely you've looked at it. But this was another interesting difference between looking at a Timeform US speed figure and a buyer speed figure as it pertains to Nest in the Alabama. On the buyer scale, Nest was a 99. The translated Timeform, I believe, three or four points higher than that, a 103. And I feel like there's a really big difference in those numbers when you're evaluating how good Nest is and, and what she might do next. Visually, it was an interesting race. It wasn't, it was, it was for such an easy win. It left me with, with a few more questions than answers between 
the the strange beginning and I I don't it's not like she didn't look like she was bearing out on the turn but I'm still trying to get my head around what she was doing out in the middle of the track at that point how good did you think Nest was which of those figures do you think is more reflective of her ability uh, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to be imprudent in a way and be honest about all of this. Um, first and foremost, I think Nest is terrific. I think Nest is a really, really nice horse. I've been very impressed by how much she's moved forward. And regardless of where you stand necessarily on the figure scale, what you have to, to keep in mind is that Nest ran a fast Alabama. A night when we're talking about you know hundred, even if it was in ninety five, these are fast Alabamas. We've seen Alabamas with eighty six buyer speed figures, um, and and we've seen horses that ended up winning the Breeders' Cup run that kind of figure, right? So it's it's it was a fast race. Nest had a very cozy trip. Now one of the things about Nest that's made her even more proficient, I would say, in 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 these races is that she is more tactical. She is able to stay closer. And that obviously helps in terms of, of where, how she's able to do it, because when you're in a stalking position, I mean, the very fact that Nest was ahead of gerrymander in this race is hysterical, right? And, and that has to be rider error, because or it has to be human error. I can't imagine that the plan with gerrymander was, well, we're going to come from behind and beat Nest. Yeah, we've got a really good shot at that. Mm-hmm. I know Wayne Lucas was adamant about Secret Oath being taken off the pace because he thinks that's the only way she can be effective. But I mean, gerrymander was never, it didn't matter. Gerrymander hadn't, was never beating or the way things played out. But I guess my point with all of it is that Nest having so much more tactical speed is really a very big deal. The reason why the time from US figure is low is because the pace was extremely slow. I mean, it was not a fast pace. So if you thrust Nest into a scenario where because of her seemingly endless, you know, stamina, she is just galloping along at a slow pace with a tactical advantage on everybody else. And she got a 121 time from US according to the to the chart is what I'm seeing here. Is that the raw figure or the adjusted the adjusted down for pace because of the slow pace? Um I don't know. I'm in the chart. Okay. So, I'll, I'll I'll dig on that while yeah, while, yeah okay. which I would like to know. I, I mean when push comes to shove as well. So so you know she sat on a slow pace and when you put when you put a talented horse that is sitting on a slow pace and they're just going to bottom out the rest of their rivals, they're going to be hard to beat. So I think the buyer figure is very consistent with what went on throughout the day. It was buyer figures are final time figures. I, I replied uh, perhaps a little snarkily to someone <laughs> you? who yeah, <laughs> purports to be some type of expert on Twitter yesterday. And he blocked me. Didn't even, didn't even reply. And um, so of course. What did you say? How mean were you? He tweeted and said, Nest buyer speed figure 99, time to put the buyer speed figures out to pasture. I'm not quite sure what that means. So I quote tweeted and said, please tell me the purpose of this embarrassingly dumb statement. (laughs) So there was a little name calling. I could see somebody (laughs) being sensitive about it. I mean, I thought I was making a factual statement. (laughs) Perhaps there was a a bit of name calling associated with it. So, you know, it's funny when people make all these comments about buyer speed figures. and, and, And I mean, I always like to say to them, what's your figure? Right. Right. What figure did you make? You know, and and at least understand a little bit about how these things are derived and what, and again, understanding that they're a performance metric. They're not the be all end all. You know, I got a lot of, and we'll probably talk about him in a couple of minutes. I got a lot of hate mail about a horse that I made a comment about earlier on the card. And it's misunderstanding a little bit too about what you're trying to say. The other thing is that 
and and look, I mean, and of course, our friend and colleague is a part of it. But the Fox show is has a few people on it that are outrageously hyperbolic when these horses win. And, and, and the idea that Nest was being discussed as a Breeders' Cup classic horse is ridiculous. This year, particularly. Ridiculous. Yeah, this- I mean, she's Pete. She'd be the third or fourth choice in the distaff right now. Right. Right. She read anybody who read the workout report prior to Saturday would realize that she was getting beat in the morning by Malathot. Right. So she's not going to be a shorter price than Malathot. She's not going to be a shorter price than Clarier. What happens if search results wins the, the, the personal engine, right? Research results ran the best race in the FIPS by a mile. So what happens if Latruska comes back and all of a sudden she's Latruska again, right? Is, is Nest going to get that cozy outside stalking trip with Latruska in front of her? They might position her there and she won't make the quarter pole. No, she's never be... run that fast early in her life. So, no. I mean, it's, it's, it's important. And I get it. We all watch races. We see horses win by big margins. We get excited, but somebody has to be the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> and that's me, right? That is people like me that have to say, no, objectively analyze these races. Understand that was a slow pace or that was a fast pace, or you're missing the effort that this one put forth or things like that. So, you know, you see a filly like this, that ran this enormous race and gets a 99 buyer speed figure. And you know what it means? It means she's a really above average Philly. It's a really good Philly. And I think she'll end up being one of the better Alabama winners that we've seen in quite some time, but let's, let's chill with the excitement about where exactly she stands with regards to the three-year-olds or even the older Phillies. This is such a good segue to some other interesting statements that may have been a bit hyperbolic about a Philly on the West coast. Um, but I, I want to get to the point you wanted to make about a race earlier on the card and I will button this up. So yeah, one twenty-three was the raw speed figure with time with, with time form which that algorithm did downgrade because that slow pace to the 121 bring it more in line with the with the buyer but yeah i mean i think people also the reason people are thinking classic for her i think in general is just because she does surely seem like one who for whom the added distance is her friend the problem is this year you got horses like uh, flight line and life is good potentially who's, you know, granted, we don't know about, uh, we don't really know about the mile and a quarter, but for figure monkeys such as ourselves, she's not supposed to be able to, you know, sniff uh, in, in a race with, with runners like that. That That's another, that's another big part of the issue. I think when it comes to my trying to evaluate her chances in a race like the classic, we could have spent more time on this race, but let's go to the other race that you wanted to chat about on, on the Saturday card. Was it, uh, was it one of the maidens or was it stakes? Yeah, one of the maidens I wanted to just mention, I, uh, Echo again, of course, won the, um, I believe it was the, I just had the thing in front of me. Seventh race. Seventh race. Seventh race on, on Saturday afternoon. Um, ran extremely well. And and afterwards, I, I kind of, I tweeted and said, you know, everybody just bear in mind that this was a pretty, I said an extremely slow pace, which I do think it was because it's six and a half furlongs for you to go 45.66. That's very slow. There's a huge run up. Um, so that was a race that I think was, was affected by having a slow early pace. He did come home really fast. He went 115.89. And, um, and so he got a 90, I think a 94 buyer speed figure. Look, this is a horse with a lot of talent, no doubt about it. I'm interested though, in seeing how some of the horses come out of it with regards to their future races. Um, I don't think anybody will come back at Saratoga. That's probably too fast, but we'll see how they end up performing because this might be a race where it wasn't quite as good, um, as it looked, I think it's, I think it's going to hold up very well. I'm, I'm interested in seeing where they surface though. 
this is another good use of looking at how Timeform does the speed figure versus the performance figure. And it's completely in line with what you're saying with that coded blue half mile fraction. 115 being the final time figure downgraded, which is right in line with the buyer. Downgraded, though, to a 109, which is maybe suggesting we take a, a wait and see approach. I mean, this barn has so many interesting two-year-olds and it seems like disarm is the one that's at the top of the pecking order who we saw earlier in the meet whose buyer actually was significantly lower than this i believe but it feels like the vibes around the barn is still maybe the one with the most upside and then there was also the impressive asmussen uh, winner yesterday well well on another show we'll sort through all that now i had told you i was going to have you done in about three minutes from now do we need if we need to we can stick to that but i want to make sure uh, before i go go into full-on speed round that i don't have you for another minute yeah no worries we got a little bit a little bit of time all right we'll 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 go into semi-speed round then let's go out to delmar and talk about the delmar oaks with spenderella who as they crossed the wire, I was with uh, I was with Clay Sanders, and I couldn't stop gushing about how good I thought uh, Spenderella looked in this race. I mean, it's a it's a giant field that she just absolutely laid to waste. I will admit the buyer of ninety one was a little shorter than maybe I was hoping it would be for it to match the visual impression of what we saw, and it. I think Clay's attitude watching the race live was more, yeah, that was good, but but I'm not sure what was behind her. Whereas I was ready to say, I think this is a horse that could, you know, be a legit grade one superstar going forward. And then I saw no less of a of a turf authority than Jay Hovde tweeting a comparison to, you know, could this could she if she keeps developing, could she be the next Teppin? Um, the figure takes me a little bit more in a, in a wait and see mode, but I've always loved Spenderella. And I've, you know, so it was just a, it was kind of a warm and, and fuzzy moment, even though she only paid a 440 for me. I want your now, especially with your, uh, your, your comment about liking to be the cynic in this situation. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you thought about Spenderella. I'm a big Spenderella fanboy, so I'm a I'm a big Spenderella fan. She actually, I I try to divorce myself from these ideas, but she was part of a good sequence that I hit at Gulfstream during the winter. So I've always <laughs> had a little thing for her, um, and I thought she ran very very well at second asking. Um, I remember seeing her debut, and I thought, man, Grand Motion horses don't really run like this first time out. So I was pretty taken by her. And uh, the fact that he was willing to send her overseas, you know, I don't think that that Graham is the kind of guy that's loading a, a Philly or a Colt on a plane because he's wants to go wear a top hat. So <laughs> he's and I think there are some connections that do that. Um, looking at you, Bobby Flay. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but but he looks very good in a top hat to me. He does. Bobby Flay is one of those guys, right, to look good in a, you know, with a burlap sack over his head. But um so, so, you know, I, I was excited to see where she fit with these. I, I, the only thing I would say to you speed figure wise is I wouldn't really get too hung up on it in a situation like this. I mean, this is, this is probably one of those where what the buyer speed figure team does is err on the side of caution, which is to say that you use a lot of the also rans as a gauge. I'm not certain if Bella Bell didn't run considerably better simply to be second behind her. It was kind of a three-horse race on paper, and it played out that way. The, the invader didn't really have any ability for John Sadler. So, I mean, this could easily be a 95. It could yeah. be a, you know, it could be something along those lines, which I think would make her look that much more formidable. I mean, at this point, you would consider her 
a a really strong favorite, barring somebody coming over from overseas for a race like the QE2 at Keeneland. I'm sure that's where Grand Motion's going. There'll, there'll be no, you know, no stop in between. And one thing I would say about that is that her tactical speed is going to be a real weapon at a mile and an eighth at Keeneland, especially in the fall when the turf can get a little bit front end happy. Um, so she'll be very, very tough in there. But we've seen Gra- uh, uh, Aiden O'Brien send horses over for that race. Chad Brown has some three-year-old fillies. They just, I, I don't, I think Spenderella is better than McCulloch by a, by a margin. Um, and, and I think she's probably, we saw with the Moonlight run second to Hottie the other day. With the Moonlight's a nice horse. Don't know if Charlie Appleby will come back for a race like that. I could imagine so. But Spenderella at this point looks really solid. That could be an interesting showdown. Let's talk about the Lake Placid for a minute. I was not pleased with the ride on with the moonlight, it ended up being, I can't decide. I think it probably ended up being to my advantage. We were, we had our Albany distilling investor summit. So we had a bunch of new horse players and I was entrusted with that responsibility of, you know, here's a, here's a pile of money. Let's play the pick six situation. And I'm happy to say I was able to deliver, actually had some decent opinions on Saturdays. People who listen to the shows know, but it was, yeah, I think it was, it was like three, Three times the minimum ticket with Haughty, and and I think it was thirteen or ten more dollars on with the Moonlight. I'm not sure which one would have paid more, honestly, because I'm sure with the Moonlight was just absolutely buried in the pick six, and Haughty paid five seventy uh, to one in the in the wind pool. But I I just felt like with the Moonlight wasn't given her best shot. I felt like she was just too far back. Haughty given too much rain. I still thought with the Moonlight was going to win, and that Haughty showed some real character and quality in the lane to turn her away, but. I'm not sure that with the moonlight isn't the one that I'd want going forward. What did you think? Um, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with any of that. I, I think the race was changed pretty significantly by sale by kind of hopping at the start and not really getting out. I think the plan on my guess is that the plan with Haughty was to be forward and, and probably stock sale by Haughty had been very effective in, in a similar kind of scenario in the past. And I think when sale by botched the break the way she did it and Haughty flew out of the gate, so did Dolce Zell. The, the plan was, well, hell with it. Let's just go, you know, and, and Jose Ortiz is still at his best on the front end. So I thought with the moonlight, I, I you know, honestly, Pete, I kind of feared this was going to happen. She was shortening up a furlong, coming back a little quickly. I didn't know how, how aggressively she'd be ridden. I do think Saez was a little too passive. Luis is having an excellent meet and is obviously a top tier rider. Riding off the pace distance route horses on the turf, not exactly his bread and butter. So it's not something that's really a comfort zone for him, whereas it is for somebody like Irad or Joel Rosario or, or, um, you know, those Jose Lascano, those kind of guys. I thought once he got with the moonlight into the clear, she was going to get there. I thought Hottie dug in pretty nicely and, um, and it was a, you know, it was a solid performance in that respect. I don't think with the moonlight lost anything in, in defeat, but honestly, you put Spenderella in that race. I think she wins by three. So, I mean, I, I don't think she would have struggled with those horses at all. And, um, and that's why when they do all eventually meet up in the QE2, I think she'll have a pretty, pretty clear advantage. That's, that's very interesting to hear someone as figure oriented as you make that point. Because, right, this came back in 93, technically faster. But, yeah, on the eye test, I tend to agree with you. You'd think that you would think that Spenderella would maybe have a little bit in hand against those Phillies. And the good news is we should get to see it play out. One more race we'll, we'll talk about, and then I will let you go. You laughed at me last time, Nick, for picking Caravel, but uh, Saturday was was Caravel's day. I thought she might be eligible to get the exact kind of perfect trip that she did. She scored with the the ninety four buyer speed figure in the smart and fancy. 
what did you think of her going into the race this time? And what do you think of her coming out? Wait, I made fun of you for picking her this past Saturday or the one before? The one before. Oh, okay, yeah. When she she was coming off the gold rail trip at Belmont. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. She, uh, yeah, boy, I really need a change of control on Saturday. Oh, uh, no. I'm sorry to bring up a sore right. point. No, it's okay. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm all sore points, so it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for an unsore point at this point. But, um, yeah, I, can, I, I, made a, I made a not so charitable comment about Colby Hernandez to some of the people in one of my group texts afterwards. Um, it, I thought, you know, Caravel, Carav- so, okay, here's a great example. This is the kind of horse that Luis Saez is absolutely deadly on, right? Front end, forwardly placed, sprinting, getting by that guy late is brutal. I mean, he is, he is next level talent in that respect. Um, so he gave Caravel a great ride. She is, is obviously a horse still with a, with a, you know, tremendous amount of talent and um and and looks obvious as far as the the turf female sprinting division goes um i I thought you know thought she ran very well i thought michelle lovell's change of controls i brought up ran very well i wish colby hernandez had maybe had a little bit of an opportunity to get out earlier not steady around the turn i i don't want to fault him terribly much it's very tricky to be drawn inside with an off the pace horse on the turf so uh, sprinting so i don't you know i don't i don't want to blame him too much um she was a little awkward early too. She was turning her head a lot. I don't know where, what was exactly was going on there, but um, nonetheless, a, a fun horse race and one where, you know, if things had broken a little differently then I would have had a better day. And, uh, but you know, you picked Caravel. So, <laughs> so yeah, I need, I had them equally in the pick six, but you got to put some, when we do our shows, you got to put, you got to put somebody on top. So that was, uh, the, yeah, was, exactly. Was being stubborn. Right. I, I had, I had change of control for four times in the pick five, what I did Caravel, And it was not a particularly lucrative pick five, but it was one where, you know, if you have one horse for, X amount and the other one for a quarter of it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk about Miss J McKay for a second. I'm just starting to think she's not suited by really tight, sharp turf sprints because just collecting trips at this point, like Perrin collects Pokemon cards. Yeah, maybe a better fit for Belmont. I do think she's she's a horse who's hurt by them seemingly dragging her back as far as possible. I think she probably needs to be allowed to get a little bit more involved early. And, um, and so that, you know, that's a concern. So yeah, I, the other, I kind of, the other thing is that I sort of, I used her with change of control. I bet more on change of control because my problem was that this was becoming like a 90, 10 sporting event, right? Everybody liked Miss J McKay off the trip that she had last time and she became way too obvious. Yeah. that's when you want to, yeah, that's when you want to zag when everybody else is zigging and, um, and she really didn't have perfectly clean trip the other day she had a much cleaner trip than she had the time before i would give her one more shot sprinting on the turf at belt well they're not going to belmont even at aqueduct i think she's probably better suited to that to a, a one mile type oval um that's a little bit more the, the rail of 27 at saratoga at five and a half that can get a little tight yeah that can get a little uncomfortable so she might be she might be one to bet on the bounce back at at, uh, at, at belmont at aqueduct i think you make a really good point about just the general connection between having not so good trips and not being handy. Right. I mean, you just, especially I'm, I don't remember what she looks like, but I'm guessing she's also on the bigger side. So you combine all those things. It's just very hard to get a smooth run through around uh, with the rails out at the, at, at five and a half. So maybe that would be the way if they're going to continue to try her in these spots, just 
maybe take her a little bit out of her comfort zone early because it just doesn't seem to be able, maybe it's just been bad luck, but doesn't seem to be able to get the the smooth runs through. She'll be a price. I would think wherever she turns up, she's one I'd like to give one more chance, especially if it was a little bit more of a galloping six furlong configuration where she just has a little bit more time to get out of trouble and get going. All right, Nick, we are going to let you go. We've got folks waiting in the green room at this point. Appreciate your insights and appreciate that you are going to be part of our Travers live monster pod. I promise it's going to be fun uh, on Thursday. We'll see you in Saratoga. Sounds great, my friend. Can't wait. Talk to you soon. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at BetMakers. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect at Monmouth Park. Great early returns, as we've noted many times on the show. 70% of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. Soon we're going to have Fixed odds wagering throughout the state. Oh, we have a late update. It's already available throughout the state through the Monmouth Park Bets website and soon going to be even easier with the app. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this. We really love this type of betting because it really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. Check it out at Monmouth Park. Next up on the show, want to bring in a guest to talk about a new project I'm really excited about. We alluded to it a little bit earlier when I was talking to Nick and mentioning Epicenter, but uh, this guest is going to explain to you everything that's going on. The project is called Open Stable, and this is there's a mission associated with Open Stable that folks are going to know who listen to me all the time, how much I connect with. The idea of trying to grow the sport with newer fans. There's a couple of different ways of doing so. And to tell us all about it, we now bring in Brian Klatsky. Brian, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Pete. I'm very excited to talk to you about this. you got big news in the open, stable world. And let's start with, actually, I mentioned about Epicenter, but let's start with this other initiative you've got going on this week that I'm really excited to be doing some uh, work with you on, on promoting, because I think it's really cool. The jocks room is, um, it's, it's really exciting. I think that the jockeys are the athletes that risk their lives every day. Sometimes the gamblers look at them as just a name on a horse, but you know, these are real athletes that make quick decisions that a lot of people take for granted and, um, they're hard on them when they have losing tickets, but it, it, they are really, really interesting athletes that I think this project lets the fan really get closer to them to engage and learn more about what goes into a, to a jock's life. And it's a great way to support the permanently disabled jock fund. And I think it's really exciting for the younger fans to get to know those athletes riding uh, these great horses. Let's start with the most basic question of all. What is the jock's room? So the Jocks Room, it's really a fan club utilizing blockchain technology. What we're doing is blending real life experiences and utility with NFTs. The word NFT is, uh, it gets fuzzy. A lot of people don't really understand what it does. For us, it's an access ticket to that club and to engage with those jockeys. This goes way beyond the digital side, the physical collectible that comes with the the collection is really what connects the dots for a lot of people. So we have created a platinum card, which is the same size and shape as like an Amex platinum card that has a picture of the jockey that is the same image that would be on the NFT. And the jockey will sign with Sharpie on the back of the card, give you the real autograph and have an authentic collectible that connects to the digital NFT. We use that card 
as a way to show proof of ownership. So for example, if we're going to have meet Johnny Velasquez after the races today and anybody that's in Johnny V's club shows their can show either their digital wallet or show the physical platinum card they received. And what, what's cool about it is the cards all have serial numbers. There's limited edition. And I think they become collectibles the same way a baseball card would be. And it's just a way to give that younger fan something in their hand to say, hey, I'm with you, Johnny, and, I, and I'm in your club. And it opens up the door for lots of utility. One of the cool things we've done is we also have another technology partner, Mucho, that lives lets us give out real life rewards. So for example, if we had a promo where if Johnny V won three races in a day, we can then let all of the Johnny V club members receive a free burrito at Chipotle or a pizza from Papa John's. Like we have the ability to get really creative in a, in a reward structure to make it fun for those fans. I love this because I've heard other horse racing NFT type pitches and we've sat in meetings and it's never really connected with me until we sat down and we're talking this week. And what I really like about it is the connection to the physical world, not just in terms of having this awesome collectible. You showed me one of the cards and it was super cool and something that you'd absolutely want to have and, and feel special when it's in your hand. But then the connection to the real world experiences and what really put me over the top, the chance to get to have this connection to the athlete themselves. And that brings me to the two points that I wanted to, to ask you to elaborate on. It, there's authentic engagement here. This doesn't feel like some third party trying to capitalize. The actual athletes with the jocks room, they're bought in to this process. And then it's this very creative way to use technology to connect fans to athletes in a way that I've never seen before. We've been able to use some of our previous projects to, to gain a lot of insight into the market. For example, when we had Epicenter in the Derby, to be able to have these interactive Zooms where you'll have the connections of Epicenter be able to get on the night before the Derby and talk about, you know, to have Joel and to have Scott get on on that Zoom with the fans, it was really exciting. And then to follow that back up as we head into the Jim Dandy, just a lot of that, being able to test the technology and sort of build the foundation got us to the point where we're ready to bring the jocks on board. This has been in the works for probably six to eight months already, but we wanted to make sure that that true engagement that you're referring to, that we had gotten all, all the glitches out and really tweaked it nicely so that we're ready to get, deliver that kind of content. When we say the jocks room, as much as it's what they call the jockey's locker room at the track, you know, for us, the jocks room is also an information portal where you'll come, you'll be able to listen to podcasts, video clips from the jocks, recapping certain rides, giving their thoughts on what they think their live horses will be, having that interaction where, hey, you know, Johnny's going to break the record, having a Zoom with Johnny to talk about afterwards what were how important it was and be able to let the, those fans ask questions and the, and the really what's really cool about the project is Ramon Dominguez is going to be a major part of this um he has led the initiative with us and you know Ramon such a great rider lives up in Saratoga now the perfect world-class jockey with all the experience to understand what what it takes to make something like this be successful and this is something I think that people in our audience especially are really going to get how cool of an idea is that ahead of a, a big day of racing or a meet like Saratoga to be able to have a private conversation with 
a jock about the horses they're most excited about about riding that day. I mean, that that to me is something really special, and it speaks to that way of connecting fans and horse players in this case to the athletes. I, I think it's great, and we're going to be helping you create some other content around it too. It's starting this week with a, a little special we're going to do about Epicenter. But before we pivot to talk a little bit more about the legendary racing prospect collection, uh, Epicenter specifically. In terms of the drop of the jocks room, where can folks find it? What do they have to do? What does it cost, et cetera? The jocks room is going to drop on Friday, and you can get there through jocksroom.io, J-O-C-K-Z, room.io. It's, it's inexpensive. This is about connecting the fans. There'll be a couple different price points if you want a fully digital version or if you want the digital plus the autograph card. We'll be starting at $29. You won't see anything over $100. That would include both the platinum card and the digital. Different jockeys may have some different price points. All that will be live on the website on Friday. Who are you going live with? The top 10 riders at Saratoga will be dropped on Friday. And from there, we'll expand the collection with California riders. We're looking to bring riders from all across the country. The big names from Saratoga will be where we start. Expect to see us carry this into Kentucky Downs, into Keeneland, Churchill. With the Breeders' Cup at Keeneland this year, we expect to have the full international range of riders. It's going to be exciting. Very, very cool. Let's talk specifically about Epicenter a little bit more. How does it work for people who want to get involved ahead of this huge race this weekend, the Travers? Well, first things first, I, I want to just talk about his work this morning. <laughs> they have, <laughs> he came out at 5.30, did a really nice, easy half-mile blowout on the Oklahoma track. I saw him schooled in the paddock a couple days ago. I mean, he looks fresh. He's sharp. It's going to be hard to beat this horse. He's he's peaking at the right time. He had a nice break. I think the Jim Dandy was a nice warm-up. And, uh, and this, I think he brings his best uh, this weekend. But um, I'm not giving betting advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what this project is. That's not what this project is about. Connected to the legendary racing prospect collection NFT. So we started the, the, the prospects collection into the Kentucky Derby. We had four prospects. Epicenter, we really thought until the last hundred yards that we had a derby winner. But um the project started where we, we sold the NFT and it, it's it's ninety-eight dollars. That included the platinum card that was autographed by either Steve, Joel, or Ron. We have a few limited edition that has all three signatures on it. So if someone buys one of the Epicenter NFTs this week, five randomly selected will get that card with all three signatures. We like to do a surprise. You don't know what's going to come in the mail, whether it's going to be Ron or whether it's going to be Joel or Steve. But uh, I think that that makes it fun. But at the end of the day, this isn't really an NFT play. This is to join the ride. We want you to feel a part of the Epicenter journey. You know, we had paddock passes drawing to our NFT holders. We had welcome invitation to the winner's circle for the Jim Dandy. Had a really nice couple from Saratoga that sat up in the owner's boxes um, for Jim Dandy. So for this weekend, if you are if you do hold one of the Epicenter NFTs, you will be in that drawing for paddock passes for the Traverse and for Traverse seats. You also got a free burrito from Chipotle for winning the Jim Dandy, and you got a digital trophy limited edition for, for anyone that owns an NFT, you got a, um, a digital NFT trophy delivered to your wallet. That's actually being delivered this week. So you get, you get, you get your trophy too. So for what we want to do is similar to my racehorse, where you're actually buying equity in the horse, we're sort of giving you that ride, be a part of the connections, 
be able to follow that super horse, enjoy, be on the inside of the game with the Legendary Racing Prospects Collection. So we're fortunate that Ron Winchell has been a great partner on this. He has He's all about growing the game and he wants to engage the fan. And this really makes it simple for owners to participate because it gets really complicated when you start selling micro shares and percentages of your horse. You know, th- there comes a lot of different security laws that revolve around that. This is truly a, a fan club that lets you really be a part of that ride. And um, the Epicenter collection, there's still some available at some point when we do we do sell out. Then these things could have a scarcity value where they, they rise in value and trade on a secondary market. But this isn't a crypto play. It's not an NFT play. This is a fan club. This is a a way to join that ride and experience um, a really special horse in Epicenter. Where can folks go to learn more to, to get involved? Openstable.io. Everything's up there live now. You get a chance to see some of the daily comments of what's going on in Epicenter's life. One of the other things that's cool, if Epicenter wins the Travers, we can take flowers from the blanket and distribute that to the different NFT holders. We can do drawings for his horseshoes or a halter and really let fans be like, hey, I have some really nice real life tokens from sharing that ride. So I think it's... um, The creativity continues to evolve and we take a lot of feedback. And that's what's really special about the blockchain is for us is that we can constantly be adding on more incentives and really more access as the project grows. And and if he goes on to be a stallion, we can set up you know, visits to the farm to come, you know, NFT holders to come visit Epicenter at the stallion farm, or you can even have NFT day where you can come out to Keeneland and visit and visit your horse. So, you know, there's all these different things that um, having a great partner like Ron enables for us, it's to pick the right horses with the right connections that want to share that journey. It's very, very creative. And I like that idea that you're really only limited by your own imagination and how this can continue to evolve. You mentioned the extra content being created around the horses as well and some of the things you've done in the past. We'll be doing, I guess you could call it almost like a free preview a a little bit of what that's going to be like. We'll create a show um, that will be available widely, but the kind of thing that eventually I I would assume we could do much more of behind the scenes for people who are in the club. But we're definitely going to give a little bit of a taste talking to some of the key members of Team Epicenter this week. I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to have to have you for a longer visit soon, but I do want people to at least get some sense of who you are and where you come from. And I love the fact, uh, the the connection to basketball. Let's start with, this is only uh, semi-autobiographical question. Let's start with where the idea for Open Stable came from and fold in a little of your story as well. Open Locker as a holding company was originally started to do this similar fan athlete engagement with NIL and college athletes. I run a grassroots AAU program team called Team Rio based out of New Jersey. We've got roughly about 100 players that played Division One and a few players in the NBA. So I've been around the thoughts of NIL for a long time. And when NIL kicked in this summer, last summer, we were in a position where like, how can we help bridge the fan to the athlete through NIL. And we started this project with um, the UConn men's basketball team and had great success. And we found out, you know, with the platinum cards and ability to support, you have your fan base, support your athletes. It was really well received. Most people had never purchased an NFT before. They had done it because they want to support their athletes and and, and really get to know what's going on in their lives and be a part of the, this 
Boneyard Huskies Club at UConn. So from there, I've been so passionate about racing. I said, this is the same type of approach we need for racing. And, and that's sort of where it, it, it all came together for me. Um, I started the, the BBN Racing Syndicate about five years ago with Braxton Lynch and Brendan O'Brien. And, and we, we saw the joy for so many new fans of the game to be able to go see Concrete Rose with the Saratoga Oaks or to go to the Kentucky Derby with Hidden Stash. We took so many people that were new to that really were sports fans and not in the game before, brought them into the BBN syndicate and they became race fans for life. So with that experience with Concrete Rose and with Hidden Stash, I said, there's got to be a way through this blockchain technology to have that same kind of experience to create new fans for the game. You talked about your passion for racing and wanting to bring racing into this. I do want a couple of lines from you about where that passion for racing comes from. The story is, is pretty funny. I grew up in Rumson, New Jersey, five minutes from Monmouth Park, had no interest, didn't know what went on over there. No, <laughs> they, they never even thought of stopping in the building. I came to Skidmore College up in Saratoga to play basketball. And uh, the first day we arrived, it was the last week of the meet. One of the incoming freshmen was Mike Venezia Jr. His father was a New York rider, Mike Venezia. He took the basketball team over to Saratoga, probably was right, right, right around Traverse weekend. And we became locked in. We found ourselves spending our freshman year at the Saratoga Harness Track, betting aqueduct, simulcast, and missing classes, <laughs> counting the days until Saratoga reopened. So... We became, um, I, I guess you could start, we started as degenerates back uh, as freshmen. And from there, the irony was my first uh, summer back home, I was at Monmouth Park the next day. And to see Hansel, you know, running the Haskell to me was like one of those moments, like I cannot, you know, I can't believe this Haskell is here. And I, and I never even paid attention to it before. It was... <laughs> Where has this been all my life? <laughs> so that 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 got us hooked. For Saratoga has had a special place in my heart going to college up here. And I, I don't think I've missed a summer. I don't want to date myself, but it's been, you know, 30 years. <laughs> We're on very similar trajectories, I think, as far as this goes. And, and yeah, for me too, Saratoga, such a key part of the origin story. I can remember going there when we really started getting the rhythm of coming regularly and saying to my friend, Frank Scatoni, who now also works in racing with whom I worked at Simon and Schuster saying to him, walking home one day, getting ready to fire up the grill and drink some beer and handicap the next day's races. I want to do this every day. I want to find a way that we can do this every day. And somehow we did. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I keep finding is when you start asking everybody's origin to racing, the common theme. And, and I, I, I think it starts with everybody is, I got into racing because my father brought me to the track when I was a kid. I, that yep. story just resonates all over the place. And what I think that this project does is, look, I don't expect a lot of old school race fans to actually embrace new technology. But what I do think is they may see this as this is actually pretty cool. And it may be a way to get my 12 year old son or my, you know, or my, you know, my eight-year-old daughter to actually learn more about the sport and get interested. And this may be just one of those keys to have the, the next generation of fans come with their parents out to the track and then stay engaged in the sport and, and, and start to build that passion. It sort of connects the dots. And I, I did it with my own kid. My, you know, my two sons, they were basketball, 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 everything growing up. But 
I still dragged them to Saratoga. I begged them with cotton candy and ice cream and, and, <laughs> and those years, yeah, did they, was it a long, hot day and they didn't have the great, you know, to them, I had more fun. But now they like coming to the track more than I do even. They, they are locked in. And for them, a week in Saratoga is as special of any part of the year to them. And I think that is what, you know, my takeaway was is that if, if my own kids built a passion through me sharing it with them, this is a tool that allows others to do the same. Very, very well put. Before I let you go, remind people one more time the key URLs to learn more. Openstable.io and jocksroom.io. That's J-O-C-K-Z room.io. We'll be having you on again soon and stay tuned to the In The Money Media Network for more on this project, specifically with uh, Epicenter a little bit later this week. We'll talk soon, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. We'll throw in a little house ad here as well. Big week at In The Money Media, Travers Week, of course, and we've got some great content. Just keep an eye out. We've got our Epicenter special that's going to be coming up. We also have the first ever live Monster Pod. We talked about that a little bit before. That's going to be fun. If you're in Saratoga, come to the Brentwood right after the races, approximately 6.30 to 7.15. That'll be live streaming on our YouTube channel as well. Another Brentwood show. I think I'd originally said this was going to be on track. Turns out it's going to be at the Brentwood as well. Saturday morning, 10 o'clock, a version of our Pro Player Roundtable show. It'll be a sort of a lightning round version with Sean Borman and Paul Matisse. That's going to be great. You can watch that streaming. Or, of course, you can get all this stuff on demand in themoneypodcast.com. That's one place to go. Or subscribe to the In The Money Media Network wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes is one popular place. Or you can check out our YouTube channel and subscribe over there. It really helps us when you rate, review, and subscribe. You're going to have a big week here over at In The Money Media. Next up on the show, I have to say I'm very surprised I was able to get this guest today because I'm pretty sure she's running around like a chicken with her head cut off ahead of tomorrow's TRF Barbecue at the Barn. I'm not here to push you to come to the event, folks, because the event is completely sold out. But I am here to tell you we have a lot of exciting silent auction items that you can bid on even if you can't be there. And to tell you all about it, we bring in the first lady of the In The Money Players podcast. She is Kim Ware. Kim, how are things? Happy Monday, Pete. It's the day before the day. I'm glad to spend a little bit of it with you this morning. Is it happy, though? Is it happy? I mean, you've got to be stressed at this point. You've got 86,000 things going on. I know, but I just know that we're not. We're only hours away from 5 p.m. Tuesday, August 23rd, when all my favorite people come walking in the door for a party for the ponies. So I'm excited. All right. Let's talk about this silent auction. I have decided, and it's kind of appropriate because... We're not to tell everybody about how all the production sausage is made here in the, in the money media, but we, even though this is an audio show, we have video in our conversation right now and you can actually see essentially one of the items that's part of uh, the auction item that I'm putting forward, which is to do a whiskey tasting slash handicapping session slash talk about whatever the heck you want um, with me either at the little house on the east side here in Saratoga or um, down in Brooklyn, hey, if you donate enough money, I'll come to your house and, and bring a bunch of sample bottles and we'll, and we'll do it. But the idea is one of my favorite things I've realized this summer, Kim, is to sit around with people that I know to varying degrees and share this whiskey collection that you see uh, in the frame here and, and talk about interesting issues in, in the world, usually revolving around horses running around in circles. But Anyway, I'm, I'm excited to do this, and I wanted to tell people a little bit 
more about uh, about some of the specifics. But you've you've seen the full bar here. It's not it's not a it's not an unimpressive selection. No, you know, I was like Pete. I got to tell you, your whiskey is showing, and it's quite a, a quite a quite a scene to see on this Monday morning recording. But I know you love that whiskey. I know every bottle has a story, just like we say every horse has a story. And I think what a wonderful gesture of you to share your time and your treasure, literally your liquid treasure, um, with uh, with a, 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 an old friend or a new friend or whoever chooses to be generous with this item. I just think it's a wonderful thing, and it's just a great example of what our silent auction is essentially chock full of. It's individuals who've said, hey, here's something I have or I love or something I enjoy doing. And I'd love to share that with someone um, if they'd like to make a donation to the horses. And so, you know, that's really the way to summarize essentially the whole silent auction list. Um, and, and you are leading the herd as you so often do with a very, very fun and creative idea. So thank you, Pete. We'll get to some of the other items, but just so folks know, I will have a conversation with whoever gets this auction item and then we'll curate the experience. If it's somebody who's interested in whiskey, but doesn't know much, we'll probably do like a selection of different styles. If you're a scotch person, I've got some really actually on the way right now. I have some really special bottles of scotch, some distillery only stuff from my trip to Isla. We could dive deep into that. If you're like scotch, but don't like Pete, we've got a bunch of wonderful Highland stuff we could get into. Obviously Kentucky bourbon. We got a bunch of Wellers up behind me, a bunch of the new craft stuff. Anyway, you tell me what you, what kind of experience you want in a very general way. And I will make a fun program for us. It's what I do all the time around here. Anyway, program shows, this will be a private one that involves drinking. It's going to be a lot of fun, but there's some others. Honestly, if I only had, you know, if I could only bid on one, I'm not sure I'd bid on my own camera because there's some really great stuff on this list. That's even more, um, horsey related what are some of the things people can uh, look to bid on well i will tell everyone i know you want to say this is that if you want to see this list um you can see that um your your leisure today on our website so you go to you go to pete's link um trfinc.org slash players and you can just hit the button you'll go to the page there they all are so it's hard to pick between the children i love them all and i'm so grateful for each of these these generous gestures but um you know I have to say these personal experiences, I'm, I'm just so grateful for them because I often get to participate in them, at least as the facilitator, the AKA Julie McCoy, scheduling the date, the place, the where do we meet? I love doing logistics. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear. I was born for the details. So anyway, that being said, um, the one that I, you know, and I'm not picking between the children, but I am so excited about this, this another new one, which is um, our dear friend, Ramon Dominguez, Hall of Fame jockey, arguably best human walking the planet earth um and in the conversation he's in the conversation he's a good he's such a great guy and and this idea of going to the the track here in saratoga with him in the morning and to see the horses through his eyes um you know this is this is one i will bid on if i were to be bid on it i guess i can't bid on it but i will accompany the winner because i know even as a a person who spent an awful lot of my life with horses uh, i i don't know what i'm looking at when they're galloping around i there's so much more there than than meets our inexperienced eye and to see it through his eyes with his love of the horses his love of the game his love of winning um he's just going to share things that I don't even think he knows he 
knows um, with all of us. And it can, much like your experience, Pete, for someone who's a, a complete novice to, but a fan, like a, a handicapper, you know, a horse player, like our dear, I'm going to pick on our dear friend, D Dave Nichols, you know, who's arguably, he always, he doesn't know much about horses, but he loves the game and he's learning a lot. You know, that may be a, a different conversation for Ramon as he talks about the breathing and the pace and what, what gait are they in, you know, a gallop versus a trot versus a jog. But and he can do that. And it'll be really rewarding for the group that goes to just want to want it. But if you are an experienced horse person, um, I think you're going to le learn even more because the the nuances of how the horses are looking, how they're feeling, how they're acting, what the riders are doing and how they're going to communicate that back to the trainers. I just find it all extraordinary. And I feel like we're bottling something that is, is the magic of racing through Ramon. So it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. A couple of the ones that leap out to me, this just, i this just added item. We talked before on one of your previous appearances on the show about the, the Richard Migliori backstretch tour, which I still have not done, but I've heard just insane over the top raves about now talking about him who, you know, has chops as a chef, which you probably know if you follow him on social media already, that he's, uh, there's going to be a private dinner that the MIG makes for you, Al Fresco at a Saratoga horse farm uh, for next summer. I mean, how fun is that going to be? That's one that absolutely um, caught my eye looking at things. This paddock experience with Maggie Wolfendale, you talk about a situation where you couldn't help but learn something. That's amazing. We've got the whiskey. We've also got wine, Donna Brothers, in uh, going to be doing a, a presentation with some wine tasting on a Saratoga porch with some, some little snacks. We'll have snacks for the whiskey tasting too. It doesn't work so well. Just <laughs> Without snacks. I haven't gotten that far yet, but we'll figure it out. The tour of Herringswell stable down at fair Hill with, uh, with Anita and Graham motion. I mean, we've got really unbelievable money. Can't really buy these things usually unless it's for a great cause like the thoroughbred retirement foundation i want folks to check it all out you can get there you have to click a couple buttons but trfinc.org slash players follow the links we'll get you there the direct link isn't bad though so i'll read that one out too trfinc.org slash event slash bbq hyphen 2022 but i want folks to know a little bit more about this proxy process that you've set up it's not an unlimited amount of people who can do this option because obviously there's only, you know, so many people who we can find to help out with this, especially on short notice. I think the key thing is if you want to bid on any of these items and you can't be at the barbecue at the barn, you got to act now, right? You got to act today. Monday um, is when you want to do it. Tell folks what they need to do if they'd like to secure someone to bid by proxy for them. Yeah. So we are, we're, we're going, it's very analog. It's very simple. You just need to, find a friend or ask me to assign you a friend. Um, they will be an unbiased friend. They will not be a member of the TRF staff who have a somewhat biased perspective on these items, um, but they will be someone who you'll have their cell phone. You'll be connected by cell, by text, by me. And that person is going to, you're going to tell them I'm interested in items X, Y, and Z, or, or you know, you're just going to do this very analog, talk to them. The bottom line is what you're going to be providing that proxy are the same three things that the people at the barbecue are providing. That is your name, your cell phone number, and the amount of your bid. So your proxy will be writing that on the piece of paper on your behalf and checking it. Pretty much the action happens from 7.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern time, wherever you are. So your proxy will be on the phone with you and essentially being you to write in 
what your bid is. As soon as the auction closes at eight o'clock, when we, we will announce the winners, we'll put them on poster boards, but we will be texting the winner the link saying you've won item number X for this amount and you can pay right like that. So it's, it is simple. Um, it does require just me knowing you need one and connecting you to the person. And then I'm out just to be clear. <laughs> um, I am just going to do a text intro and that person is a kind volunteer. Who's going to say, sure, I'll be your eyes. This can be fun. And I, you know, so it's, it's analog and it's new for us, but I don't, I just don't think it's very complicated. It's just, you need a person to be you. And, and if you can't, I mean, I would assume, Kim, if somebody's like busy during the hour or whatever, you could just say, you know, I want the whiskey tasting. I'll bid up to X. Yeah. Just you know, keep putting it in there until that. And then yeah. you find out if you win or you didn't win and you and you dance from there. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, it, it can be as simple or as complicated as you want in terms of being involved during the event. But the, right. the way to get in touch with you for this, Kim, what's the best way? An email. It is Kim at trfinc.com. Dot org. Simple. It's just that and just proxy. Put proxy in your t- subject line. <laughs> um, that's what they've come in. And, it's, and then, and I will need your mobile number. So, um, might as can, well give that straight away. Yeah, right and, away. And, and folks, for some reason, if it's easier to reach out to me, obviously I'm not going to be able to be the, 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 the proxy. I'll be doing too many things there. But, um, who knows if I get pressed enough into service, maybe I can't even do that, but I will also put you in touch with Kim and help you out. So just let us know. We want to raise as much money as possible. You know, we talked about the TRF as an organization all the time. We're going to be doing more of that um, as the, the summer winds to a close here in Saratoga. You know how important this cause is to the world, to me, to Kim, and obviously to the horses themselves, to the men of the second chances program. This is a great, this, there's no funner way to support an amazing cause, right? That is how I feel about it. Absolutely, Pete. And I'm so glad you're in our herd and you feel the same way. And while we cannot accommodate any latecomers, we are sold out. We've been sold out for over a week and I just, my no button is broken and this is not my strong suit saying no to people, but if we have no room at the inn, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to post pictures, hashtag TRFBBQ22. So follow that. And then um, Pete, just so you know, and this will be a preview for our next conversation, one of our amazing graduates from the TRF Second Chances program in Ocala from the women's program will be with us at the barbecue on okay. Tuesday. And she'll be around Wednesday. I want her to talk with you and to share her story with your audience. So oh, just- be great. That will be yeah, great. You'll be able to hear that very, very soon right here on these airwaves. Kim, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time today. Godspeed, my friend. Uh, you'll lot, lots of deep breaths between now and tomorrow at uh, about eight, I guess. It'll be so much fun. I cannot wait to see you and all of our friends. And the horses are grateful for all these gifts from everywhere. And uh, have an awesome day, Pete. I will see you to- on Tuesday. Cheers. trfinc.org slash players. That link once again. See you tomorrow. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests for joining us. Really uh, some fun conversation. Always uh, enjoy talking to Brian and to Kim and to Nick as well. We'll thank our founding partners. You've heard a lot about the TRF during the course of this show, and you've heard the our URL a bunch of times, but it won't hurt for you to hear it one more time. To give, to learn more about the items in the silent auction, Tomorrow night, trfinc.org slash players. Ten Strike Racing, our other founding partners. Really great to hang out with Clay Sanders last weekend and excited to see Marshall Graham and some other members of the team who are going to be rolling into town this weekend. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. And a reminder, when you support our sponsors and partners, that's a great way of supporting us. Other ways to support us, 
Sign up for our free email. Great way to get all of our content in one place in themoneypodcast.com slash email. And of course, our plus service if you want more shows and little digests of the picks as well in themoneypodcast.com slash plus for that one. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kenshin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.